0: Welcome to Masters of Divinity. I'm your moderator, JP. And I'm here, as always, with Father Shark. Yo, yo. And Father Fun. Hey. And uh, Matt, occasional Matt, is uh, not here with us at the moment, but he should be showing up at the end just to let us know what his uh, pick will be for next week, because he's going to be the, the next one. And then after that... He'll be, a... yeah. so he'll, be a, he'll be occasional in the episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then after that... The Wheel of Mayhem awaits us. Oh, I'm so excited for the Wheel of Mayhem. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, uh, just kind of jumping into things. Uh, first of all, guys, how are you doing? How's everyone doing? Are we getting through this I'm music good. mayhem Me-
1: okay? I'm, I'm getting through music mayhem okay. I guess this is this is going to be music Junehem <laughs> for everybody. <Yeah. laughs> still mayhem for us. Uh, we're good. We just moved uh, away from my uh, in-laws where we were staying in between houses, and we're at, in our house in Topeka, uh, Kansas now. Which uh, so it was a good. It was a good week. Um, so I'm in a new place, trying to figure out where the best place to be for recording is, uh, and half expecting my kids to bust in at any point uh, because they don't realize what off limits means. So we'll see.
2: I'm bad at boundary Bad at boundaries. Children are.
1: <laughs> yeah, very much, Yoda. So, very much. Yeah. Well,
0: I'm. uh I'm. I'm getting through. Through it, fine. I've. I found a rhythm of editing the episode, uh, listening to next week's album, as well as doing some a- an analysis and doing uh, promotional stuff for the for the episodes. So I, I found a nice little rhythmic balance. If that been, makes uh, sense. I've been.
2: I've been getting lots of uh, Warner Music Group takedown notices <laughs> on my phone, um, so I know that I know when oh, you are posting one? all kinds of stuff. I think we've gotten like three or four. <laughs> oh, no. They're, all, but I'm pretty sure they're all related to Nirvana. I don't know that we've gotten any for Guster.
1: Okay, but they have a pretty apparently they have a pretty liberal um, like taping policy. Yeah, um, like they want they want their stuff out there. Hmm. Oh well.
0: At least I got some people to look at them before they were taken down.
1: Oh,
2: speak, um, speaking of uh, copyright, takedown type stuff, maybe we should take a moment to
0: acknowledge our new theme song. Oh, yes. we. I want to give a shout out to, uh, if you've been watching and listening, you'll probably notice that we have a, a slightly different um, theme song. Eric from the YouTube channel 331 E-Rock. Uh, was gracious enough to let us use uh one of his uh covers of the um, his cover of the masters of the universe theme uh which is called metal meets Masters of the universe and like he actually does like a whole medley of like uh he man and stuff like metal versions of it it 's actually really cool very talented dude love his work visit his uh youtube channel he 's got a lot of cool stuff up he has a, he also has like his own album on iTunes and stuff so check it out so. Excellent. Thanks, Eric. Yeah. Have you guys been enjoying the new theme?
1: I, I I have. I do really like it. Cool. And I thought that, you know, using it at the beginning of Music Mayhem was a was, was a good time to kick it off. Yeah. Well, Especially I, since it was Nirvana. I,
0: yeah. I, I I told him it was just going to be from Music Mayhem, so it's not like our permanent oh. theme. And also, I it. It, it helps because, like, and this is kind of like inside baseball copyright stuff, but the Bill Conti theme that we've been using for the show... Um, does not show up on YouTube's copyright claiming system on <laughs> its content ID. Just because, you know, it comes from Canon Films, which is a horrible production company. So, like, they probably just didn't take the initial steps to copyright it uh, for, you know, YouTube purposes. Um, but the one that he, that this dude produced, that one is copyrighted. So, even though we have his permission to use it in our, in our graces and his disgrace is to use it, it's still recognized by a content ID, and we can't really make money off of it. Um, mm. Meanwhile, we can make money off the Bill Conti official theme music from the movie, <laughs> the Masters of the Universe. Wait, that's funny. I mean,
2: I, I remember a year, when we first started this, I was, I was digging around looking for, you know, like, who owns what. Yeah. And I, it, it's a very big question over who actually owns the rights to the Masters of the Universe live-action movie starring Dolph Lundgren and yeah. Courtney Cox. Yeah. And Tom Paris, um, it it uh, and I I will say, and I've said it before, the theme song to that the theme to that movie is so much better than it deserves.
0: <laughs> it is. It's because it's done by Bill Conti. Bill Conti did the uh, the Rocky theme, and the, yeah. the 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 Karate Kid score. It's so it's so it's so darn good. Great composer. Yeah. Cool. All right. So. That's my Mr. Miyagi thing. Um, you're gonna you're gonna heal up a knee. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so let's jump into it. Last week, Father Fun chose our album, which was "Ceremonials" by Florence and the Machine. Uh, a very interesting pick. Um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I want to get into why he chose that album.
1: Yeah. So this this year's Music Mayhem was uh, his favorite bands and. My favorite band of all time is The Who, but I'd already picked a, a Who album a, a few music Mayhems ago. Um and so I was trying to think about what to do instead of just doing another Who album, which would have been fine. Um and uh and Charles kinda of, kind of had the idea actually of uh of naming Florence and the Machine as my second favorite band, which I guess it they probably are. <laughs> um I, I don't like know I don't have as encyclopedic a knowledge of them and uh and all of that, but I but I really do love uh, love their music. Um, my history with the band. Uh, so so anyway, I picked I picked Ceremonials because it's the album that I'm most familiar with that I've listened to kind of all the way through, you know, multiple times, um, too many to count. Um, you know, I have all four of their their main studio releases, uh, and, and their most recent one just came out. You know, at the end of last year, um, and and we really like it. I, um, I, I really like it. But Florence the Machine is a band that like my whole my whole family really likes and she uh their music videos are are weird and um very like artistic and artsy and my daughter really loves to watch watch her and watch them there's lots of kind of interesting dancing in them and um and so we just as a family we just listen to a lot of Florence and the Machine so I decided to pick Ceremonials because it was the one I was most familiar with and uh and and that's probably because I have a um, right after we moved back to Kansas after seminary, ceremonials came out like right around when we were graduating from seminary in 2011. Um, she had a, a world world tour, and she came to Kansas City, and we went to see her um, before either the kids were born in in October of, of 2012. We went to see her at an outdoor an outdoor concert, and so it was the ceremonials tour, and so it was almost it was like almost the entire album, uh, and it was just a really incredible. Uh, experience and similar to what I said last year, last last week about Guster, Florence and the Machine is a band that I think I knew sort of from from popular music. Um, the The main the main song off of her first album, which is called Lungs, uh, the song "Dog Days Are Over." The dog days are over got pretty popular when she first came out, and I think I think she may have won Best New Artist. They may have won Best New Artist at the MTV VMAs that year. Huh. And I was familiar with Dog Days Are Over because again, like a very weird music video. And I remember my little sister sharing it with me back in, you know, 2009 or whenever that that that, that song came out. Yeah. Um so I knew of Florence and the Machine, but when Michael got tickets for us to go with some friends to see them in concert, you know, we downloaded the latest album and just listened to it on repeat. And so that's why I'm so most so familiar with ceremonials. And I just really love it. Um I thought that it would be a good album for us to talk about because uh you know, it's a, she's a, she's a female singer, obviously, um, who we weren't, we weren't having um, any women, um, this year yet. And, uh, so I thought that would be good, to, good for us to talk about. And I just really love her, her lyrics often don't make like a ton of sense to me, but like they're evocative still. And it, it, it I think that it's an album that kind of lends itself to conversation, especially if she uses a lot of religious imagery and, Um, and I'm not exactly sure what her specific kind of religious background or kind of where she stands with religion right now. And I could see, I could read it into it either direction, you know, um, but that kind of stays with her in her albums as she goes. Um, even though her latest is obviously, um, you know, nine years after this one and she's more mature, it has kind of more mature themes. Like there's still a lot of religious imagery, um, both in the video portions of her work and in the audio portions of her work. Um, I just wanted to see what you guys thought about it. I want to, you know, evangelize. Uh, with Florence and the Machine as much as I can. So, cool. uh, yeah. So one of the things that I really love about Florence and the Machine and Florence Welch specifically is I'm just I'm really a sucker for female rock musicians. Me too, <laughs> um, man. Give me both. Who have who have a, who have a huge range of kind of both dynamic and uh and and, and notes, I guess you know and and. Like when I when I first heard Florence Welch sing, I immediately thought of Grace Slick from Jefferson Airplane and Jefferson mm-hmm. Starship, um, and I thought of um, the White Rabbit, uh, that main White Rabbit White Rabbit song that they sing, where it's just like this very like high high pitches that are powerful, but not but but still pleasant to listen to. You know, like there's no it's just it's just like perfectly toned female vocals i guess mm-hmm. um you know i'm a big fan of heart as well and i think the same thing with ann wilson like she they just like these women all have the ability to sing in a way that just like it just gets me you know um did, and heart, so, do, and, and did I really heart do barracuda yeah. yeah 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 nice yeah so Love they barracuda crazy on you magic man all that one yeah cool. it's that same kind of thing that like very um powerful female voice um but, but I also think it, one of the things I really like about this album, too, and it actually is interesting in that and how it relates to Guster in some ways, is that it's also an album that's about, you know, she I, I watched an interview with her this week where she was talking about how this this album came out or she wrote most of these songs when she was in her early 20s. And so it was kind of an album of kind of like that those those feelings of kind of like adult becoming an adult mm-hmm. and the way that um kind of her, her love life was start was starting to like interact with her in a in a different way now that she was in her twenties. And almost all these songs like are about relationships, I think, but they're but they're more about like relationships with self and with kind of claiming identity and claiming adulthood. Yeah. Um I'm I'm just always like <laughs> I'm just always really impressed with it. Um I was watching one of the music videos this afternoon and I read I read a comment that made me laugh. Um, it said I've never felt more like a strong independent woman despite being a 23 year old male like I, <laughs> like I get that <laughs> like, when, I, when, when I listen to Florence and the Machine I just am like yes like, you, you rock women, women rock uh, so yeah so I so I just I just love it and I think um, it goes it, it goes in this it just goes up and down in a really pleasing way and, and I, th- I said this with Guster as well but like I'm a sucker for any song that start that, that has calm moments and then like huge swells and then like comes back into calm moments. And there's like every single foreign, that's like the Florence machine, like playbook. Um, and so it's just like every time it like breaks open, I'm just like, yeah. And then I'm like, yeah, no, we'll bring it back down. All right. Yeah.
0: Well, that's
2: so, kind of the, that's kind of the Nirvana model too, right? Yeah, I and mean, that's, that's what, that's Kirkker what
0: nevermind was. Yeah. The uh, yeah, no, quiet like, cor- like, uh, quiet versus loud chorus.
1: I I was, as I was listening to it, I was like, man, like you can definitely tell again, this is like a post nevermind kind of sound, you know, and then thematically, it's similar to kind of what we were doing with Guster as well. Um, I will say the other, the other thing about it is that that concert was, it was just, it was just an amazing experience. Like I I haven't gone to a ton of concerts, but but it was probably the best concert I've ever been to. Um, It was an outdoor theater and she is just beautiful like tall and like has really long red hair and she was wearing like a dress and there's a song on this album called spectrum um that starts out kind of calm and then it breaks open at the end and uh, or in the middle and 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 i have this memory of this is right after we got back from kansas we'd been married for we just had our third anniversary and like I don't know, like three years into anything is like a time when you're kind of like going like, what the heck is happening? But I remember going to this 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 uh this show with, with Michael and just like this breeze, it was October, but it was warm. But then like this breeze came in and right at the like slow part of the song, the spectrum, her, her Florence's hair was like blowing and her dress was like blowing. And then like, like the, they had this great light show. Like I just like, it just was a very affecting concert that has just always kind of stuck with me. And like, I'm all like anytime I listen to the album, I'm just like transported back there in a way that I, you know, am not whenever I listen to bare naked ladies. And I think about the bare naked ladies concert. I went to, you know, it's just like, it it, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a spiritual experience in some ways. Um,
0: It makes sense. The instrumentals are like massive. Yeah. So it's like perfect for like a, like an outdoor symphony orchestra kind of thing going. Like I could see. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so I I didn't, um, as I mentioned to you guys right before we started recording, I didn't um, have unfortunately didn't have as much time um, to listen to this as I really wanted to. Um, I mean, I when I left from recording last week, I put this on and on my drive home. And as I said to you guys, I was leaving. I said, I, I've never listened to Florence and the Machine before. But that's not true, because I once once Shake It Out played. I was like, oh, I know this song because it was kind of everywhere for a while. Um, I just didn't know it was, it was, it was Florence and Machine. Um, but the, like, first impressions of this is, as you said, JP, massive. Like, the, the instrumentation is massive. So there's this, you know, so in the early, in the, toward the turn of the decade there, um, end of two, the, the 2000s, beginning of the 2010s, there was, um, Within digital music, that was when you know digital music was really becoming the main format of things. There was this whole conversation around you know the loudness factor, this sense that people thought that if it was loud, it meant it sounded good, right And so a lot of people criticized what was happening in digital recording um because of that but it it led to this whole range this trend in music, a lot of bands that were using these really big percussive sounds as the basis of their music and so you have, you know, Florence and the Machine. You have um, um, Fun. If you remember the band Fun, mm-hmm. um, you had um, um, a little earlier than that sort of precursor, I guess, to like Florence and the Machine. A very similar kind of sounding thing to me a little bit was um, um, Emoji and Heap and um, Fru Fru, which is just you know female-led, somewhat electronic um, um, sounding music. We're um, we just gonna gloss over that,
0: Evanescence, said.
2: Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and but but like but I like, but, uh, but actually, I would put evidence a little bit different because I just don't know that I would consider them as electronic
3: right. sounding
2: as some of these other. I mean, there's a there's a there's a weird thing with like fun and Pompeii... I oh, am sorry, sorry, um, Bastille and Florence and the Machine, where there's 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 almost like a, an electronic quality to the music. Like I don't, I mean, it just like you know. It, it, but what I like about what I like about it is I know, like I said, music critics and others are criticizing that era because of how loud things were. But this sounds like Florence is a band that utilizes it in a way that's very effective. You hear the resonance of the drumming. It, it doesn't sound like it's being piped through, you know, a synthesizer or some kind of digital effects work. It actually you can hear you can hear the thing resonating in the room. It sounds like they're playing music in a big open space. Um there so it's it's that's a great sound and it's very uplifting. I mean, like, you know, I just it, it was great to drive back from from Waikiki, or well I mean mostly Waikiki, drive through, you know, town Honolulu back to Hawaii Kai where we live, and to just hear these big sounds as I'm like looking at the ocean, the mountains. Um, because it just sort of fit. It fit. It was kinda of hard driving in Hawaii listening to Nirvana. Um, yeah. but like this this worked right. Um, it, a it made me think
1: a little,
2: yeah, it kind of made me think a little bit like um, there's a, a there's a band called M83, um, electronic issue band. Yeah. Um, that they they um, their whole musical thing is they try to create soundscapes. That's like their focus, is and, and I and I get that with Lawrence and the Machine that they're a band, and like, like you said, Patrick, like you don't always understand the lyrics, but kind of like nirvana there's they're they're going for a feeling and you get the feeling um and and so like i mean these are just the things i was thinking about listening to it and i i just i really i really loved you know like it's funny that we talk about you know connections with guster the other thing is is this sounds to me like a band that is very percussive you know percussion driven oh yeah um that to me those are the big sounds that i hear i listen to i hear drums um um uh, the other thing is, is Florence Welch's vocals. Um, you know, there is this, again, going back to like music research that's been happening um, in recent years, you know, running different popular musicians through computers to analyze their sounds. They found out that so many, so many groups now sound the same and that music just sort of sounds the same. They've become very formulaic for getting things on the radio. Um, and one thing is, I think it's unfortunate about that is that there are a ton of female vocalists out there that sound indistinguishable Um, there's this kind of if you're not doing pop music you're sort of doing this almost whispery like you're singing very much from your soft palate sound I I don't know if if you know what I'm talking about I mean Maggie Rogers who I really like is kind of guilty of this even though I think she's very, very talented musician I like her music but I feel like there's this indie female vocalist sound that sort of I don't know, it's just sort of it's it's sort of a generic sound, kind of husky. I don't know. But Florence doesn't do that. That's the point I'm trying to make. Um, This is someone who very clearly is a classically is some kind of a trained singer who can like, you know, actually sing. And I would imagine is that, you know. Why that sort of thing stands out, because I think of Tori Amos and reading about Florence and Machine, they made some connections with Tori Amos. Tori Amos is also a classically trained musician who also wrote a lot of music based off of religious imagery that also fit in with relationships and things like that. That, um, that there's like this pressure, I guess, probably more on women when women are into music if they if they if they have any kind of training in their vocals there's this expectation that they're going to go into theater or they're going to go into classical music or things like that they're not going to go into popular music um um you know and, and so that to, to, to have someone like florence to have someone like uh, tori amos or whatever um on the scene it stands out because it is it is just a different thing than what we're used to hearing and I think it's a good thing for us to hear a very competent, trained, professional-sounding female vocalist doing music that's playing on the radio um, because it it's, you know, the, the, there's just that, the, 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 like you said, that Patrick, that, that hearing it, it hits you in an emotional place that you don't get otherwise. Like you said, like, you know, I, I've... Makes me feel like a strong, powerful woman, even though I'm a 23 year old dude. (laughs) Um, you know, I I get that, I get that, and um, um, so yeah, so I mean, that's that's my that's my, my 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 initial takeaway stuff listening to it is just the this ethereal soundscape sound with this beautiful, powerful vocals, um, that just sounds big, you know, it just sounds big to me, and that's a and that's a good thing, it's not. Flat and loud. It is a dynamic bigness. Um, and I think, you know is a is a sound that's pretty indicative of a particular moment in time in popular music. And based off of when this album was released, it sounds like there were a lot of copycats um, of Florence's sound um, coming out of it. So um, so thank you, Patrick, for this for the suggestion I'm, I, and for being introduced to this because I, I plan on making this a regular part of my
0: listening rotation. You should you should add lungs to that too because it's really good it's mm-hmm. also good okay so i listened to lungs uh years ago like around the time it debuted which i think was like 2009 right um and i really loved lungs um you have like cosmic love you have uh, dog days are over rabbit heart kiss of the fist howl i love those songs were like on a playlist i made that was just like in constant rotation like in my early 2000 teens i would say um making a long trek to work uh before i discovered podcasts and music now doesn't exist anymore
2: um (laughs) same (laughs) well i mean what pretty much anything recorded after like 2012 is garbage right yeah (laughs)
1: i Have listened to any of it? I'm not sure. I can't really tell you. I don't exactly. know. <laughs>
0: exactly. It's not because we're old or
1: anything. It's not, no, no. no.
0: Uh, so no, I I I I really enjoyed that album. I loved it, um, and I think I I enjoyed it because of the the, the diversity, and all the songs. It's a very uh like kind of a kind of an indie pop art album. It's experimental. Um, you know, she has this like really beautiful heavenly voice. It's like powerful. And so you could like, you're, you kind of risk the da- danger of like overpowering everybody around you and like kind of the music kind of falls to the wayside. But like the, the music and lungs is like so diverse and so uh, experimental, it's, there's like a really cool balance happening. So you have like the power of her voice and like some cool instrumental stuff happening on the side as well. Um and uh they it, it kind of resulted in like this really wonderful catchy balance um and so yeah that's that's long since why i love that and um ceremonials this is actually the first time i've listened to ceremonials all the way through um i was i mean i'm familiar with shake it off and um very familiar shake with it sa- out oh shake it out <laughs> that, that's the Taylor shake Swift song yeah yeah uh, <laughs> shake it out i'm familiar mm-hmm. with um and uh, Seven Devils, which was uh, used heavily to promote season two of Game of Thrones, um. So I know that song backwards and forwards. Uh, and um, ceremonies. It's it's very different from Long's. Extremely different. Um, her voice, I think, does take center stage in this album, and the instrumentals, as massive as they are, and as cool as they are they do kind of become texture in a way. And I don't mean that like in a bad way or that they're like disappearing, but they do kind of serve more as a texture um, to what she's doing. And um, so I didn't find this album to be as diverse or as catchy as Lungs. Um, But I do appreciate what's happening, um, especially like after a closer listen and kind of understand, like, you know, reading some interviews with her and stuff. Uh, because it the the it kind of became clear like what the album is all about and it, it got me like really excited when i kind of found when I found out about it and uh listened closer, closer to the instrumentals um for one thing it's very ballad driven which is interesting um the instrumentals are like sort of a this like really epic combination of gospel and goth and brit pop like you two um and it has like a hymnal quality. Uh, from like sort of choir elements, um, like basically the oddest church service you've ever been to <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and it kind of sets it up to be something kind of spiritual. And um, it's not just the instrumentation that that's 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 like that. It's um there are very overt themes of salvation and redemption and rebirth and sin and exorcism and revelation conflicts between chaos and control. Um, I mean, there's songs about demons, which is like, which is seven devils. There's songs about, like, spirits, which is breaking, like, and breaking down, and death from what the water gave me. Um, So it's very spiritual. It has a lot of religious iconography uh, used as, like, a metaphor to capture all of the emotion um, that she's, like, bombarded with. As she experiences like things like loss and love and breakups and everywhere, everywhere in between. Um, and I kind of find this. It's, it's it's funny to kind of talk about this and sort of compare it to Chuck and I talked about uh, Kanye's latest album, "Jesus Is King." And I kind of feel like it's sort of the same thing where you're trying to like make like pop music out of like a church service, you know, mm. kind of using the same elements as, like religious elements like gospel and choir and hymnal to like illustrate metaphors of, like, relationships and things like that. Um, This is, I think, better. I think she did it better than than Kanye did. Um, um, But I will say, I I loved it up until, like, maybe the last four songs. And I feel like, because that's where the the theme kind of breaks. Because, and I... (laughs) This sounds really pretentious, but I wrote it down anyway. It's like going from Joy Division to New Order at the end. uh, Because it becomes more poppy and like upbeat and friendly. Um but I, I was kind of enjoying the goth Odyssey that I was on. So I don't know. I, I I'm not a huge fan of the break at the end, but it's it's still pretty good. It's still catchy and fun. Um I just I just liked I liked I liked the darkness at first. Um but overall I liked it. I respect what she was trying to do. Um I think it's very memorable in its like themes. Um, and I think it's definitely going to kind of go down to sort of, like, her... Well, I don't have her listen to the other albums, so I don't know if I, can, I can't make this, like, definitive. But it kind of... I feel like it'll go down as like, her deep-cut album. You know what I mean? Like, Lungs is sort of, like, your catchy, poppy kind of thing that with all the hits on it. Uh, uh, Ceremonials is going to, like... It's, like, her deep cuts, if that makes sense.
2: It's her, it, it, it's her Pinkerton? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, it, it feels like something... Album.
0: It feels like something that, um, like an album made for an audience that she carved out herself. Does that makes sense? Mm. Meanwhile, I think uh, lungs will like send her kids to college.
1: Yeah. So did the the version that you guys listened to did it ha- was it the sixteen track that included uh, "Remain Nameless," "Strangeness and Charm," mm. and "Bedroom Hymns," or mm. just the just have to leave my body.
3: I,
0: wanna... I listened to the one that was 16 track. Ew, I, I listened to up, up to leave my body. I listened oh, okay. to the, the 12 track one, not the deluxe one was, I was listening to the deluxe one.
1: <laughs> Cause I didn't no, no, That's fine. I just, no, I, 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 I didn't even realize I was looking at the track list as you were speaking and, and trying to catch Like what, what the last four songs were. Oh. And I was like, wait, the last four songs like aren't even on this album. What's happening. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the other four songs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah that's bedroom, those
0: are my those yeah. are my uh my thoughts on the ceremonials really enjoyed it thought it was a cool album
1: <clears throat> yeah i i that, that that does make a lot of sense to me and and i wonder if that's in effect i, I don't know enough about bands writ, writ, writ large to be able to say but i wonder if that's something that happens with sophomore albums where you kind of you know you kind of do your thing mm-hmm. and then you know with your with your second album you kind of Say you kind of play to your base a little bit more, yeah. And I think maybe that's where it's like you you say, you say, oh, what people really liked about you try to guess what people really liked about lungs in some ways. I mean, obviously, you're an artist, and so you create what you want to create because that's where your creative energy comes. You know, it's not all about marketing, but like it, it definitely. I think that the the step from lungs to ceremonials does. I think as you pointed out. You, you do see a a a a, 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 conf, a bigger confidence for the band in Florence Welch as a as as the voice of the band. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, obviously, they call themselves Florence and the Machine, so she was always the front. But like, it does. She is featured. Her her vocals are the thing yeah. in this album, Yeah. and everything else is created to support that. And you would think that the people who are returning as fans and looking forward to the second album are going to be there because they were really excited about the sound that they were hearing from her voice. That mm-hmm. sounds like the calculation that she or the, the band made together yeah. um, as they were putting together this album.
2: Yeah. I was going to say, you're talking about like bands writ large. I'm trying to think of, uh, so like, um,
0: I mean, Nirvana like
2: in the end. Yeah. Well, I was thinking like the indie movie and in the indie music scene, like things I'm thinking of are like, okay, so Starflyer 59, which is this shoegaze rock band, um, Christian rock band for tooth and nail. Um, they had their first album, um, I think it's She's the Queen. Yeah, it's also known as Silver, was very well received. And then their second was called Gold. And it was one of those ones where when it came out, the fans who liked Silver were not as strongly interested in gold. It's grown over time, but it was definitely much more of the introspective, you know, the kind of music they wanted to make a little bit. Um I'm thinking of um, Pinkerton. I made the comment about Pinkerton. Like yeah. so many people were disappointed when Pinkerton first came out because that's Rivers Cuomo's like passion project, um, and everybody loved the blue. I mean, you know, the blue album is like one of those ones. where Every single song is good. Yeah. Um, a similar thing happened with Third Eye Blind. Um, their self-titled debut was you know a monster, and then there's their follow-up, like Blue, I think it's called, or something like that, was like not nearly well as well received. Um. Mm-hmm by the by the by the masses, but as clearly when you listen to it, it was what they were wanting to do as artists. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, I mean, I don't I obviously ceremonials, I, I don't think from from what I've read, a little I've read, it doesn't suffer that same kind of thing where people are like, oh, this is garbage. Like, what happened? That first album was so good. Right. But it does seem to follow that pattern where the first album is this one where, you know, the band is trying to make it. And so they're they're firing on all cylinders they're like they're they're you know they're really trying to hit where like every track is something really special and stands out but then um once they've made it the second album is one where it's a little bit more we can take some risks Mm -hmm. we can we can do some things that are a little more introspective or or whatever we're trying to you know be a little more more creative or something i I mean I, i don't know but um because like listening to the way you talk about lungs JP versus this sounds to me like there's somewhat of that sense of the thing that you loved about lungs is not recaptured in the second album.
0: Yeah. It doesn't mean it's bad. It's just not the same thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that the, the, that introspection turn kind of happens in the third, in their third album, uh, which is called how big, how beautiful, how blue, um, how blue, how beautiful, how big, how blue, how beautiful. Um, it's a quieter album. Um, so it feels like they went, like they went bigger for their second album. Florence went bigger for the second album. Um, and then, and then scaled it back. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. And I think I'm just
2: thinking of like, you know, what happens with, you know, the challenge with all musicians is, and all is, is how do you, do stuff that one, as an artist keeps you interested and engaged. That's also going to be something that you're want to, you're going to have to, that you're going to want to sing night after night that you're also, you know, that, you know, it's like, um, like Guster going back to Guster is a good example. They're a band that, you know, they put out more or less three albums with a very distinct sound two acoustic guitars Mm -hmm. and the drums. And then after that, they started mixing with the format and, you know, to, to, to varying degrees of, of, of returns. Um, you know, but but it shows that they were willing to step outside of that box in that, you know, instead of just sort of like reproducing the same album over and over again. And that's that's one of the things about being a professional musician. Like, I just don't envy any artist yeah. because how, like how how do you do it? Like, how do you how do you produce something that. Like I said, you know, that keeps you engaged and energized as an artist, but is also something that the fans who like something that you've probably moved past and grown past as an artist is what they really want. That's just such a crazy thing. It's like it has really nothing to do with this album. It's just a thought.
0: Yeah, it's definitely something like I think about, too, as like a filmmaker. They kind of do the same thing where it's like, I mean, what, what was Quentin Tarantino going to do after making Pulp Fiction, you know? he went like the total opposite way and just made, made Jackie Brown. Right. And then he'd like disappear for 10 years because of, it. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I think that is the kind of a tricky thing they had to deal with. Luckily we just get to talk about it. So. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right.
2: Well, And I think, and I think, I think any, and to, to, to just talk about Florence and the I mean, like you would be so lucky if you follow up a well-received debut album with something that sounds as good as ceremonials, yeah, I mean, like I mean it's hard to believe that that's so you said this is their second album like this is their 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 second thing I mean that's
1: studio
2: studio yes. I mean that's I mean that's it, it, it's a very mature sounding thing for a second studio
0: album mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Especially like she, I mean, I didn't really do to do much research in, like the the numbers and stuff and behind the scenes stuff. But lungs was probably popular enough where that she they she could like write a blank check for you know her her next one she could probably do whatever she wanted. So it's something mm-hmm. like a kind of go all out start of album in that in that, in that regard. Yeah. So let's start with Shake It Out, which is uh, the the big hit on the album, right? That's the, that's kind of like the big single, right? Um, what did you guys think of that song? Can you go first for other fun?
1: Uh, well, yeah, I'll, I'll go first. I think there's a reason why it's a hit. It, I mean, it's, it's, it's catchy. Um, I think that it, you know, in a, I don't know. I was listening today to a podcast where they were talking about something I hadn't heard before, but it, i heard it before, but it's called, um, called solar punk, which oh, is yeah. like steampunk or cyberpunk. But it's like this movement, emergent science fiction um, movement, subgenre, that is focused on kind of hopeful imaginings of the future as opposed to cyberpunk being about like, oh, man, like Like what's technology going to do to us? Yeah, exactly. Oh, let's Um, let's solar. I could get into this. (laughs) Solarpunk. I mean, there's probably a whole episode when we probably need to read some stuff, but Mm. but like. You know, we I, I, all I say is uh, it was it was a fascinating conversation. I even like texted the podcast to my Bishop and said like, "Hey, you should probably listen, you should probably probably read this, um, or listen to this." But the idea being like, or I feel like we're we're a world we're all we, we've been in a world for for like well since nine eleven like at least and probably longer um, where we're just like starved for hope, you know and and there's and and I think that shake it out is powerful. Because it's somebody saying like, "I've been there, and I know," but I know it gets better, you know. And it's it's kind of it's an interesting it's an interesting um thesis for the album, though, because you see, even even though she kind of starts with that, like you can see, then see, like even after that proclamation of "shake it out," like she then goes down into the depths of like despair and sadness and breakups and all that kind of stuff, you know. But 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 it, but to me, it is kind of like the thesis of the. Of, of the album mm-hmm. and speaks to that hope
0: yeah I I really loved it this is the one where I, I might have got a little misty eyed mm-hmm. uh, it's the first album on Music Man to do that um, and it's it's funny because it's, it was actually on my second listen of the album It's sort of I cycled through and also it's kind of funny like you mentioned how it goes from the sort of uplifting to the next one we were going to talk about what the water gave me is kind of dark and gothic the album's kind of cyclical in that way, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love "Shake It Out." It's it's uplifting, um, it's cathartic. The part that we're, we're like, it, where she hits on dawn, it's always the darks before the dawn. Like the the song really picks up. That always kind of gives me chills, um, especially if it's like really loud. Um, and I love the lyric. And I'm done with my graceless heart. So tonight I'm going to cut it out and then restart.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: really cool symbolism of like rebirth and um
1: salvation. You know, when you're when you're talking about that when when you when you mentioned that lyric like i got chills but it also made me think about um how one of our early early conversations i think when i was in florida when we were talking about like nostalgia and stuff and how the, how like we want to just like be be what's this up? was it our conversation or something but one of the things i've been thinking about lately is like how how when you're younger, you kind of want to, you kind of end up being defined by what you hate hmm. instead of by what you love. Right. That you're, it's like when you're in high school or some of us in high school, it's like, you know, I was, it, I didn't even have the balls to say like I was into the crow. Right. <laughs> but I would say like, I hated copy. Yeah. Right. Right. I was, I, I don't like that. I, I don't, I am who I am because I don't like that thing, mm-hmm. you know, but, And. but, and I see that kind of cynicism It's just really infectious in my in my life and sometimes in my in my friend groups where like, you know, text threads or whatever, like I go to a gathering of clergy or I'm at like a conference or something and like I'm texting people about it and I get into these spirals of just like hate hate isn't the right word, but like um, negativity, I guess, and cynicism. Mm -hmm. And 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 I and I really like that line because I feel that sometimes like my heart because of who I am and because of my brokenness, my fallenness, you know, to get theological, like I lack a grace sometimes. And sometimes maybe the best decision is just to cut it out and restart. Yeah. Right? And, and say that tomorrow there's a new dawn, you know? Yeah.
2: I, um, it's, it's talking about the negativity thing, Patrick, just to get a little inside baseball since JP's done with two Episcopal priests. Um, I have my, one of my little pet theories is that, one of the problems we have in the Episcopal church is that we've been, we spent like 20, 30 years defining ourselves by what, by what we're not rather than talking about what we are. You know, we're not right. like these Christians. We're not like these Christians, you know, we're made up of so many people that have come from other denominations, you know, sort of pissed right. off. Um, but yeah, but you talk about like the youth thing, you know, when you're a teenager, you, you, know, you tend to define yourself by what you hate. I was just trying to think a little bit and I, I, I don't know that I did that. I'm not, I don't say that to try to like brag or anything like that. I think that like the music that I was into, I just liked it. And, but I also, but I also hated popular music. So like that was definitely there too. Um, But it wasn't like, I didn't listen to MXPX because I hated InSync. It was, I just sort of objectively felt MXPX was better. I don't, but, um, but, but anyway, yeah, but, but I agree also with that sentiment too, that as a, as a world, it's important. I think it's important for us to sometimes to just shake it off, just knock that crap off and to, to get out. I know that, um, diminishing my involvement in social media has made me a much happier person. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and I think that, yeah. Sorry. Cool. I'm just
0: No, no, that's good. Um so yeah, she got a great song about restarting about sort of, you know, themes of rebirth. Um, and I and I love the way that
2: she, sorry, I, just, I love the way that the, the vocal play that she does with the shake it out shake it out like that it it sounds like shaking. Like I just that's just I don't know, it's just a yeah. fun, playful thing. On them on the peak. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. And it's also one of the songs with like just like wicked percussion, right? Like like heavy yeah. drums. It kind of like Builds the energy of the song. Um, Cool. Ready to move on? Sure. All right, so let's get into a little little two-parter here. Uh, Start off with What the Water Gave Me. This is probably the most goth song on the album. Um, I, I did a little research. I don't know if you knew this, but inspired by Virginia Woolf. Mm. And um how she committed suicide by putting stones in her pockets and walking into the water. Apparently, she went to her house because it's, it's like a museum now, and this is like that's where she came up with the song.
1: Mm. um So, like, I d- yeah, I mean, I definitely got that. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, whenever I think about like, I don't have enough cultural competency to to know about Virginia Woolf putting stones in her pockets, but. I heard the stones and I was thinking about the um about Pink Floyd on the Animals album. The yeah. is it the do- Dogs that talks about like being tied to stones and being dragged under the water. I'm actually I, I'm I not it, I don't really know anything about Pink Floyd. I'm sorry. Oh my god, I almost picked Pink Floyd and my wife prevailed upon me that I needed the Pink Floyd machine because I <laughs> really love Pink Floyd. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna put Pink Floyd on a wheel of the wheel of mayhem oh great because uh, then
2: i can talk i can talk about mark dyer's son john who was obsessed his, with pink john.
1: floyd
0: <laughs> um no I, I mean i don't know uh but uh no what were you saying about pink Floyd? How, how it reminded
1: you of i don't there's a there's a song on on the animals album with that okay. that talks about the that about dog the dogs in this animals album are being killed and the way they're being killed is that their owners have t- have tied rocks to them and are throwing them in the water and oh, drowning them. God. Um, so I got the imagery, but it wasn't because that's not uncommon. Water, was, I've known people doing. Yeah. Uh, it's not... mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I love it. And I think uh, like, again, I, like, I think it's a couplet with the next song, but, um, this, this, uh, this, yeah, it's definitely a suicide type of song, but it's about, it's about surrender. It's about, um, kind of despair like like i love the imagery of of, of her comforting atlas mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that the the world's a beast of a burden you've been holding on for so long um and but but also kind of like acknowledging that the water it, it is giving you something right it, like there's something there is it is it release is it freedom you know the, the ships rust in the water but but by sinking under the water and letting it kind of wash over you you're getting something out of it even if it's
0: a death yeah I you know? mean water is sort of chaotic but you can it also lets you surrender yourself to like just to kind of get you know let it when you let it wash over you it's like you, you're it's suddenly mm-hmm. peaceful A sort of dual it, nature of water like Bruce Lee talks about you know
2: yeah and and this these two songs like the lyrics the, I mean, particularly this one it makes me And as, as we're talking about it makes me think of um a musician who I really, really love is, uh, Jenny Lewis. And, um, the title, the, are the, 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 first track on her, the Voyager album from 2014 is called head under is head underwater. And there's this lyric, it's like at the end of the song, she's like, I put my head underwater, baby. I held my breath and, t- and, and let it pass. Um, um, and, I realize it's like a, over the years of listening to it, I sort of initially thought of it as like, oh, it's a song about, you know, putting cold water in your head and freshening yeah. up and like, oh, no, no, no. It's about somebody drowning themselves. Mm. Um, so one, it makes me wonder, like, what are what are what are women musicians going on in the early 2000s to be singing about drowning themselves? Um, but but it, but is that but it also captures that sense of release that comes mm. that comes with that comes with this, which, of course, I mean, the idea of her comforting Atlas in this song, it makes me think of the, it makes me think of Jonah and Jonah's song and Jonah's, you know, the song of Jonah when he jumps overboard and he goes to the roots of the mountains and he's there at the foundations and he's talking about the Leviathan and, you know, he's talking about all this stuff that's down there and it's, you know, and then ultimately the fish rescues him. Um, um, But there's that, there's that echo of being there, you know, she's the bottom of the ocean. So it's almost like being, you know, close to Atlas because he's, at the base holding everything up. Mm-hmm. Uh, um just I don't know, just saw that saw that little connection there.
1: Yeah. Well and and I'm interested I'm interested too in this idea of like what we seek what we seek when we're, you know, grieving or overburdened or, you know, in our current age, like overstimulated, is just some silence. You know? Oh yeah. And like like that's what she really like. That's the the the, the song, like its highest points are her just saying like the only sound is the overflow like like the sound of the water just kind of like on you you know and that and I think about my kids when they take baths like they love going under the water they love putting their ears under the water and then like you know hearing how my voice sounds and then I like pretend like I'm talking but I'm not actually talking and they just think it's the they just think it's the funniest and coolest thing to like be insulated in that way and and i think like water is such an evocative imagery earlier chuck you were talking about baptism and like yeah and i can't remember maybe you can tell me but like i've been talking about how in seminary i heard from somebody i was in some class or something i think it was a practicum maybe but um somebody we were talking about like how much how much water do you need for baptism and the and whoever it was who was talking said enough to drown in you know it was it was like can you do it if you sprinkle it does it have to be immersion whatever that was the question but they just it's like Roger it's enough to drown in yeah it's it, it's enough to drown enough to drown in is like what's that about well that's Romans six like that baptism is you know like we get it wrong when we think about baptism if we're if we're being good Paul Pauline scholars right we get it wrong if we talk about baptism as like a washing or like a bath like that's not what it is it's it's a burying it's a it's a, it's a death like in Romans Paul talks about how we go under the water and die and we are buried with christ in, in a death like his and then when we emerge from the water we are we we, we come to life in a resurrection like his and that's what so the imagery is yeah. like a literally in a life like going back into the waters like we come out of water right in our in, the, in our mother's womb we go back we get to go down to the water and we are born again and that's what you know born again is about well um,
2: and that's what and that's what she's seeking here yeah yeah, that's what I because I mean what I what I tell what I tell families when we're preparing for baptism. Um, one of the things I, I tell them is that you know in 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 some of the early churches that we've unearthed, you know bapti- baptism baptisms took place in a separate room. Um, There's an actual baptismal room, and they were octagonally shaped, um, and even a lot of baptismal fonts are still octagonal, right? In their, you know their and um, the reason for that is Greek um mausoleums and columbaria and other things like that were in octagonal shapes it's a symbol of death it's, it's a symbol of a cemetery of, of burial and then there would be this pool that was enough to squat down that your head would be completely underwater so you would take you would get naked and you would possibly be slathered in oil and then you would be um completely submerged in a ritual drowning um and that's what i told you it's, it's, it's ritual drowning that's what baptism historically and traditionally is seen to be you would come out naked and then they would give you a white alb as your new garment of clothing to wear um and it's also as a side note how we know that there were at least women deacons who assisted in baptism because it would not have been appropriate for a male priest to be you know bathing a naked woman in a private room um so um um but yeah so that that we've lost that we've lost that imagery um, growing up, I mean, I was fully immersed as a Baptist. I mean, that's how I was baptized. I was completely submerged in like a jacuzzi. Um, I mean, it's called a baptis a baptistry, but it was up in the church and it was basically a jacuzzi. Um, but like, you know, when we're looking at, you know, sprinkling the water or like, oh my God, I saw a picture of a Catholic. I, I want to say as a Catholic priest, um, they were doing a baptism during COVID-19 and he was, he was squirting the baby with a water gun which what a violent image that i just don't i mean i know that ritual drowning is a violent image too but there's something different about a gun shooting a baby
1: um but but it's but it's ritual bound, drowning in the arms of the right. church right right uh, look, the, the the personification of the church
2: right it, it touch touches is kind of crucial right. in this um but yeah it's it's you know i mean like if you read if you read the Didache, the Didache says like The preferred, you know, there's like a hierarchy. It's like hierarchy of the kind of water that you need for baptism, and the preferred one is cold, living water. Basically, like get in a cold waterfall to be baptized, to be completely like you know, submerged and covered by it.
1: I always talk about that. I always talk about that that part of the dedicated though, in the other way to like give us permission to also sprinkle. Because the thing I love about that. I, I just love, like, that dedicate that part of the dedicate feels so Anglican to me. I, I'm, I'm sorry, JP, that we went off on this tangent. It's but okay. Like, it, it feels so Anglican to me because it's, like, under a waterfall. That's how you should do it. But if there's no flowing water, uh, still is fine. Uh, and if there's no cold water, warm is fine. Um, as long as you say Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. If, and if you can't do immersion, then even just sprinkling is fine. Uh, as long as, yeah. as you say Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's, it's just, like, these gradations, like you said, gradations of, like, Worseness, but it's still baptism right yeah like like, that and that's what it is
2: it makes me think of cana's favorite thing in um the book of exodus where it she's like this is like a perfect encapsulation of way like jewish legal yeah like the legal rituals and stuff work is it's like you shall you shall consume all of the lamb before sundown or whatever and then it's like if there's any leftover (laughs) right (laughs) um (laughs) Yeah, by the way, uh, for listeners who don't know what we're talking about, the Didache um, or right. Didache um, is a uh, is a, a book of the Bible or uh, sorry, a book that almost made it into the Bible. Um, it's a it's the fancy word for the teaching of the Twelve Apostles. It's a um, it's a worship manual. And so um, for those of you who think that proper New Testament type worship involves um, involves sipping a latte while listening to a rock band and then, you know, some like cruise director prattle on for 45 minutes um you should read the didache and it'll show you what an actual ancient church service was like
1: and now charles is going to go tear out his graceless heart but they can cut it out <laughs> and then restart yes exactly <laughs> so uh, sorry JP, jp i was moderating but you you no, had, you, you haven't had a lot to say we haven't given you a chance to talk about the water, what the water gave me i'm interested what you think
0: well like i said i, I think it's definitely the most goth um, mainly right. because it definitely is sort of overt in the scenes of uh, suicide and drowning. Um, the crow. <laughs> the crow, yeah. Uh, this is the part where I put them, I mean, when I listened to this, I started to put the makeup on in the mirror. and mm. um, I don't know, you guys kind of covered everything I, that I was going to say, but it. <laughs> it's fine. Like I didn't have like a, anything totally different from what you guys said. Just that, uh, I did think it was kind of interesting in that, like, uh, water is sort of, um, traditionally, um, symbolic of like rejuvenation, you know, what, what baptism is supposed to be, you're, you're coming back to life. And here she's mm-hmm. kind of sort of fascinated with the idea of drowning and how it, how it takes life and how water sort of represents chaos and. Um, it's also kind of a theme throughout the entire album of, uh, of like being caught up in chaos and just wanting it to, to, to end end. Um, so I thought that was interesting how she kind of comes up with her own sort of uh, symbolism as to what water represents to her. I think that's
1: cool. So. That's yeah. Cool. And it, it, and it transitions into the second song in here of, of like, what does it actually look like if you surrender to it? And then in that silence and in the arms of the ocean, and now I'm speaking about never let me go. Right. As we, we say, it's, it's never let me
0: go that we're talking about now.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's where, that's where it, you know, it gives, it gives way to the devotion that there's a, that there's a spiritual experience of surrender to kind of what you're in. Right. And, 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 I, and I, what I like about it is that, you know, she starts out the song like in the middle of the thought, cause it's, cause it's connected to the previous song. And but, and even as she's looking up, she's seeing, like the mirror reflection of what she left and it's all still exists right but that down in the ocean at least there's that silence that she's been looking for that is going to be able to like carry carry her from this point
0: yeah I, I i wrote down the chorus um in the arms of the ocean are carrying me and all this devotion was rushing out of me and the crashes are heaven for a sinner like me but the arms of the ocean delivered me it's very hymnal, you know, and, and how it's uh, like that, that could be like a hymn, <laughs> you
2: know? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, and it's peaceful in a deep cathedral where you cannot breathe. No need to pray, no need to speak. Now I am under all. I mean, that one using a cathedral for the for the for like the ocean is an interesting image because yeah. cathedrals are sort of well known to be evocative of the primordial of the primordial forest Um but this idea of like a big empty space um, and what that can represent. I remember when um, every year my friend Josh and I would go to this, um, this toy collectible um, show um, at the convention center in, or- in Orlando. And it's like this big thing, Florida extravaganza, big nerd thing, you know, people dress up, you meet, you know, like we met like David Prouse and stuff. And um, um, this guy played Darth Vader. Um, but when we were, when we park and we'd walk through, um, we walk past the, the 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 empty. The Orlando Convention Center is a very beautiful building, by the way. I love the way it's 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 just one of my favorite architectural things in the world. But they you would go you you can walk through this overwalk that has like glass and you can see into the empty convention spaces, and they're massive cavernous spaces. And I remember my friend Josh. We were walking. He said he said there's something unsettling to me. There's something kind of terrifying about like it's such a big empty space like that. And it, I mean, it's weird because I, I get that, but I also I weirdly find like comfort in that, like the idea of being able to be in a big, dark, empty space. Like there's just something I don't know. It's interesting. Um, it's otherworldly and you you feel you feel almost like feel a presence through the absence. And I, but so it's, a, it's an interesting uh, evocative image here that I just sort of connect with this idea of uh, the, the vast open ocean being a cathedral.
1: Well, and I wonder if that's something that's that is connected to your surfing, because like that's the fear that's the fear that I have about the ocean is like that it's so big and there's so much of it. And it's so that the, that the emptiness is actually not emptiness because it's totally full, but it's a similar feeling of, of anxiety. I guess. Yeah.
0: It's it, called it's th- weird. It's a <laughs> fear of the ocean's
1: vastness and what may lurk
0: deep within it.
2: See? Yeah. I mean like, so back when I first visited Hawaii in September, we walked we walked on the Makapu Trail around the, the eastern tip of Oahu and you see the ocean like it's you're up on a mountainside and it's a cliff right over the ocean. And it's just vast and blue. And it's like you're very aware how far away you are from other people. And the weird thing is, is that like when I it was shot, it was sort of jarring when I first saw it and sort of entertaining the idea of living here but what's been weird for me is that since moving here i oddly feel very connected with people i sort i feel this very weird connection with like people with sort of the earth itself because i guess being just just this little blip in the middle of a vast ocean you're so susceptible to so many things and different things are outside of your control and to be experiencing that in the midst of a pandemic, like, I just sort of feel this weird spiritual connection. Like, it's almost like it's the heart of the world in this weird way. Um, and I don't know if that's, like, my own, like, latent narcissism because I'm here. It's the most important place ever. But, um, but like, I um, – but that – but, yeah, it's, but, but getting back to the surfing thing, I mean, obviously, anything that's talking about the ocean crashing, the idea of the crashing is, like, heaven to me. I mean,
0: as a surfer, I hear that and, like, oh, yeah, I totally get that. Um So, like maybe and, the the ocean sort of like a like an like an afterlife, sort of being presented because you know she's drowned and now she's in an afterlife and sort of she's more peaceful and she doesn't want the ocean to let her go. Or I don't know, yeah. a weird kind of rebirth.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the way that I see this is it's almost like the previous song, you know, is this Virginia Woolf retelling of what happened and sort of imagining you know what was going on with Virginia Woolf and this very poetic thing and this, but this idea of, you know, basically suicide, this song then sort of interprets that in a spiritual sense and makes all these really rich baptismal connections that I'm not even sure if Florence herself is aware of. Um, This is where like death of the author becomes kind of fun because like those of us who are shaped, you know, like for me, like baptismal, a baptismal Christian, you know, baptismal faith with, you know surfing like i'm going to hear this song and and these words very differently than you know probably both of you um um and and like to see the idea that though it's dark and the idea of even like baptism symbolizing a ritual drowning is a darkness to it um that it leads to this idea of peace and hope and a new way of life like That's how I come away with it is the idea that, you know, I mean, once I, you know, what is it as is it is it is it it's Jesus who says, right, that is it Jesus or Paul, Patrick, that says that, like, is Paul, when you're when you're dead, you don't sin anymore, like, so that whole conversation about being dead to sin. Um, And so this idea of, of, and the crashes are heaven for a sinner like me, the arms of the ocean delivered me that notion that you're 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 dead to whatever's come before and so like this might be taken to a more literal place but we can see it as a spiritual idea that once you're dead to what's come before it doesn't it has no sway it holds no power over you anymore you've been delivered and then which case it's sort of like the jonah story he drowned but the fish which god sent you know some people see as punishment but actually the fish is what delivered him to be able to do what he was supposed to do even though he's a bitter bastard about it even afterward but um you know, then that language is picked up by Jesus and used as, as illustration in the Gospels. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm like drafting a sermon now, so I'll stop. But
0: <laughs> <It's okay>. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the next one is we're going to no light, no light, right?
1: Yeah. Okay. The thing I love about no light, no light, and I don't know if it was because of where I, I, mean, I mentioned. You know, three years into a marriage, that like it, I felt this when I was three years into my job. That like you're kind of they they always say that in parish ministry, like three years in you kind of are destined to kind of have some bumpiness mm-hmm. um, because you've kind of everybody's kind of heard your sermon, they're kind of sick of your sick of your thing, and they they realize that they that you're like human and that you they can like push you and kind of have learned what your buttons are and everything and and I remember. I, we're 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 better now. We're still we're still married now, but I can remember like three years into my marriage with Michael, that like I, I would listen to this song and I would like completely and totally understand what Florence Welch was talking about because it's like it, it to me it's this great song about like you know you you are the most important thing in my life and yet we fight all the time and we're not and 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 when we and when when we fight we you want to seek a resolution but like it's not going to come <laughs> like um you know like you want to you want a you want a revelation some kind of resolution that's not going to happen I, you know that this is a conversation that i can't have right now in my current state I like just like the entirety of the lyrics like just just worked for me it also helps that michael has blue eyes right so it's like i never do I never, like <laughs> No light in your bright blue eyes, and never knew daylight could be so violent. Like it, it, I just love it, and it also like it just rocks too. Yeah, like she's just it, just it, just it's, it is a very powerful song. It's
0: got some aggression to it. Yeah, a lot of rhythm. Um, interesting. I don't know. I I, I um, reading into it myself, I I kind of saw it as like feeling vulnerable at the thought of sort of opening yourself up. Like you, you get to a point into mm-hmm. a relationship where it's like, okay, we got to kind of like, I got to like, start, I got to know who you are. You can't just have this sort of, you know, um, superficial ideas of another Not one on there. We cool. have to like, we got to start revealing ourselves. We got to start opening up. We got to start revealing things from our past. And I just kind of see like a, like a huge, like conflict of that because one of the lyrics that really stood out to me was, I never knew daylight could be so violent. The idea of like being exposed and just like r- rattling you, you know mm. um
2: like mid like midsummer, right, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy
0: <laughs> talk about being exposed I, I
2: in terms of lyrics, like I mean this is like again a song i didn't spend a whole lot of time with, so I'm not gonna say much, but this lyric in the very beginning, you are the hole in my head, you are the space in my bed, you yeah. like. First, first reading, hearing that there's the the idea that like space is referring to an absence, like like you were there, but you've left. Mm -hmm. But looking at the context of the the way she's singing about this, you are the silence in between what I thought and what I said. That's a that's a presence. You've said something, but you're not speaking back. So this idea that you are the space in my bed. What a like you said, Patrick, those first three years of marriage are tough. Right. And And you because that's kind of true for like everyone, I think. And in those beginning stages, this other person is just sort of like this vessel, right? They're just they're sort of a void because you're still learning about them. And one of the mistakes a lot of people do, a lot of people make in 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 relationships. And I know I did this for most of my life. is to see the other person as sort of like a risk, you know, as, as though they're supposed to be a receptacle for whatever I'm trying to give to them. Um, and instead of being like a full person themselves and that I have to receive what they're giving to, and we have this back and forth, it's not a, you know, love is not a one way exchange. Um, and with the very kind of misogynistic world I grew up with, it was that sense that that's how it was supposed to be right. Like, I'm the man, I'm in charge, and I'm going to tell you what to, what to do and how to behave. And so I just think that's just a rich lyric to the idea that this per- that there could actually be a presence, a person next to you, but they're a void because you're not letting them be what they're fully supposed to be. Um, um, anyway, that's just sort of how I'm, how I'm taking, yeah. taking the lyrics. Here. I think it's
0: one of the catchier ones on there, too. Yeah, like the chorus about the uh, bright blue eyes.
1: It's good. It's one. another one where I can like at the concert, like I can really remember the the light, the light show that was happening. Because this is another one where it's like it starts out really soft, and then it's like no light, no light, and like the, like the flashing, like epileptic <laughs> kind of thing that was happening. Nice. <laughs> it was awesome.
0: Props, so. props to that light, daddy. Yeah. <laughs> That's a nice callback.
1: Uh, tell, yep. tell us about Seven Devils, JP.
0: Nice. Oh, I love it. Um, I I love this song because there's so much like. You know, there there's so you know leading up to this, there's so much of sort of this conflict going back and forth between chaos and control, needing salvation and rebirth and all and everything like associated with that but then seven devils comes and it's just like anger and fury and wrath <laughs> you know um you know the the lyrics are like I, I don't want your money i don't want your crown i've come to burn your kingdom down yeah yeah i i, I here's a question yeah you mentioned you mentioned that this was
2: heavy promotion of the second season uh-huh. of game of thrones
0: correct yes
2: uh seems very prophetic to the finale
0: oh yeah 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 Uh uh-huh because that that's what happened right that's that's what happened right i just wanted to um yeah Uh, i I mean uh, yeah this is definitely like they definitely chose it because of that sort of imagery that it's creating about the second season the second season was all about vengeance because of uh what happened in the first season ned stark got his head cut off and of course uh, Daenerys Targaryen was getting closer to Winterfell or not Winterfell. No, what am I talking about? Westeros. Um, and, uh, you know, she's coming, she's, she's saying she's going to like destroy everything when she gets there. Um, but yeah, but that's, I mean, and, and that's, that's the nature of the song to me, you know, I was mean, just like, holy water can't help you now. Uh, it's just sort of this idea of wanting to like, um, cause like pain without any kind of worry of consequences. Um, and, uh, I, you know, in my, my research, cause I was interested in like kind of what her process was in the song and she described it as an exorcism,
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, above like self-doubt and guilt. And, um, of course the battle between chaos and control, which is what I just said. It's kind of funny. Um, so it's just sort of like taking this attitude of like, uh, you know, leave no ground unscorched in trying to like take control. Like I I'm done giving in, I'm done compromising. Uh I'm just gonna do what I wanna do.
1: Anytime we hear about devils and demons, like you, you think about Jesus. And I think that the number seven is really important here as well because like that's one of the only things we really like know, know about Mary Magdalene. Yeah, I wrote that was down that too. <laughs> she had yeah, she had seven demons cast out of her, right? Mm-hmm. And I, and, and in, in some ways, like I hear it a little differently. In that, I hear it as a, as, like, yes, it's it's a, it, it's comforting to kind of like be with your demons and to hold your demons and to use them for purposes of rage and destruction. But there's also a recognition of like, I'll be dead before the day is done. Like, if I keep this up, if I let these things continue to control me, not only am I going to destroy you in my anger and my rage, but like i'm i'm at risk as well and and that and that that's what the demon that's what that that's the power that demons have right. over us especially if you have seven of them inside you
2: well i, I see that, that that's okay that's kind of blowing my mind a little because like when i thought i think seven devils i think of the seven deadly sins and i thought that was just sort of what it's playing off of is the different like, not the not seven deadly sins not the seven
0: kingdoms but, of
2: no okay. um yeah. though who knows maybe they knew. Um, <laughs> But but the idea but you making the connection with Mary Magdalene is very fascinating, especially considering that in Renaissance art, Mary Magdalene was always depicted as a redheaded woman. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if Florence is drawing off of that imagery for herself in this. Mm -hmm. Probably, I'm sure she is.
1: There's a one of the songs um, at the end of the album that I listened to. um, uh, Sorry, I need to look at the lyrics again. Um, It's called Bedroom Hymns. Um it also has a little bit of that, um, and this is where we get a little bit explicit, but like this isn't in the Virgin You Listen to, but the but the lyrics of this one, it's called Bedroom Hymns, and it's it's got this um if you can look up the lyrics, you should. It's got a very overt Eucharistic imagery. This is his body, this is his blood, such self-respokes, I can't get enough. I'm here for absolution. I'm 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 not here looking for absolution, but I found myself an old solution. And it's a it's a very sexual song. And it's got this very—I um, don't know if it's like African drumbeat, African rhythm, rhythm like 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 a churning, like dum 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 kind of drumbeat to it. But what what the, how it begins is um, this is the good as place to fall as any. We'll build our altar here. Make me your Maria. I'm already on my knees. You had mm. Jesus on your breath, and I caught him in mine. Sweating our confessions, the undone and the divine. And then it's like, cause this is his body. This is his blood. It's like this. And, and so make me your Maria there. Like that, you know, there's this, I think incorrect, like feeling of, um, Mary Magdalene being a prostitute. Right. That's one of the kind of like understandings and translations we have of her and who she is. And, um, this like, make me your Maria. I'm already on my knees. Like, and that the, the bed becomes this altar. Like, mm-hmm. like I think that there's connection there, um, to seven devils this- as well.
2: Yeah, it's sort of like, um, sort of like, um, Madonna's like a prayer.
1: Yeah. It's yeah.
0: a good one.
2: And playing out and playing off of the, 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 the literary motif of the two Marys, right? There's the right the mother or the whore, like women are forced into one of those two roles in Western
1: literature. So actually Spectrum was the one, um, that reached the highest on the UK charts as far as a song. Oh, really? um, yeah. And and I I think I just I really like it, um. I I like it because I, I the story I told about it at the at the at the live concert, but I really like this idea, of like this this is one of the most pure like love songs on the album. It's definitely like a love ballad, but the line of that holds the song together is "Say my name and every color illuminates, we are shining and we will never be afraid again," like. I just love that. I love that expression of love. Like, it, it, you know, you kind of handing off to somebody this power, you know? Like, you know, my. my I grew up for 30 years, you know, I'm how my 37, almost 37 years, you know, and my parents have said my name since day one, right? right? But when Michael says my name, it means something different, right? And telling somebody that, like, when you, when my mom says my name it it's something right but when you say my name every color illuminates you know it's like again you know we're talking about the wizard of oz but like walking through into oz and like i kind of see the world differently because of who you are to me and the power that you kind of have in in in, in bringing me to life by calling me out or whatever you know mm-hmm. um i just i just love that so it's just, so it feels it feels pure in a way that like <laughs> the, the rest of the album has there's like that like darkness under grouping stuff you know like spectrum just is and it's also just loud and like raucous and um and rainbows you know spectrum yeah this is the part of my
0: notes where i said this we've gone from joy division to new order yeah (laughs) um yeah i mean you know it's continuing the upbeat tempo that's that started from the previous one which was heartline's which is, you know, a song mm-hmm. that's all about like believing in yourself and all that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all that. I just, I'm just saying, hey, you know, I enjoyed the, I, I just enjoyed, I enjoyed the, the dark grittiness of this album, and these are, these are fine songs you, at the end. They're fine, they're fine. But
2: it's, you sound a little bit like the way people. Uh, this is a weird connection, but I've been thinking this through this entire conversation, so please uh, forgive me for this weird jump. Okay. Um... But it's it, it makes me think of like people's reaction to Neon Genesis Evangelion, <laughs> where it's like this heavy, dark, you know, very kind of beautiful psychological thing. And in the last two episodes are like they kind of hand wave everything that's come before. And it the show like the show ends on this very weird like,
3: yay, <laughs> no,
2: that, that just comes kind of quickly. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like you're on the journey to that, to that thematic jump. And it's just so like the way you talk about this album just made me think about where you're like, this first part was great. And in the end, it just, it got, it just got suddenly happy for me. And I didn't like the jump.
0: I don't know. I mean, I mean this is probably a therapeutic for her, though. Like, yeah, we went through this greatness. Can I be happy now? Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Or, or maybe the producer was like, uh, Florence, <laughs> we need some pep here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I enjoyed it. You know, it's it's hopeful and it's sort of kind of like cycling through the emotions of a relationship. Uh, the part that kind of caught me is how it's going to sound funny, but like the, the lyric, and when we come back, we'll be dressed in black, and you will scream our names aloud, and we won't eat, and we won't sleep. We'll drag bodies from their graves. It's that it's if it's like it's like a cycle of emotions. Like we start out like you know we go through this period of being angry and horrible. But also, like so many other things, are connected to it. you. Can't really have the other one without the other, right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I, I found the one dark moment in the song that I zeroed in <laughs> immediately. <laughs> the, crow, the crow is speaking. Gonna <laughs> you know, wipe all this makeup off. Uh, <laughs> um, but no, it's it's a good song. It's it's one of the catchier ones. Um, um, yeah. No, I like it. Are you good? Do you feel like we've yeah. discussed enough about 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 uh, your album from your favorite performer band, I, uh, Florence and the Machine? Yeah,
1: no, I th- I think we did. I I would I would recommend. Um, I don't I don't really like the, uh, the how, how big how beautiful how blue how blue how beautiful whatever it is. Um, but the latest one, Highest Hope, um, just came out last year, and and I and I really like it. It's it's definitely a lot more um, toned down. Um, it's more of like an acoustic album in some ways, but it's still like her voice is so beautiful. And it's a little bit more autobiographical. It's definitely like, like if this is a early twenties album thematically, like her new one is definitely like a mid thirties album. Um, okay. And like, she goes like there's songs about going back to her home. I um, said London and like, um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's very good. So like if you're, if, if, if this your interested in Florence and the machine, then I would recommend checking out her whole catalog. But, um but her her, her latest album is, is actually really
0: good too. Cool. Um great. Uh and and I I recommend definitely checking out lungs fun album. Lung, really sure. really fun one to have in the rotation. Especially you Chuck, you should, should check it out. Okay.
2: <laughs> I, I will I will check ch- 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 check it out.
0: All right. So, uh real quick, I want to thank you Father Fun for recommending this album for this year. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great album. Florence and Machine is a great group. And uh, so, yeah, thanks. Thanks for recommending. Loved it.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for letting yeah, me
3: participate. You're, <laughs> you're a little, little
0: co-host there.
3: I'm, I'm so glad I got to talk about it.
0: <laughs> and uh, Occasionally Matt we're,
3: has...
1: It was the best contribution you've had this whole Music Mayhem, so thank you.
3: <laughs> oh, we're going to have words about that when the episode's done recording, but carry on. Go ahead. <laughs>
0: Occasionally, Matt is here, and he's going to tell us what we're going to be listening to for next week. Take it away, Matt.
3: I, I am, and I have to say, I had a rough time because... JP said that he wanted to focus on favorite groups, you know, so not much so much like what's your, an album you want to talk about, but what's your favorite band? And I was like, well, crap, we already covered my favorite band and the album I would have picked to kind of sum up everything about them, which was the Beatles with let it be naked. So I was like, well, okay, who's my second favorite thing that I want to talk about. And then we had our number one fan father Chuck, our number one fan can you guess who it was my mother your mother made a comment on a post and i was so happy because i was like i get to be her hero in so many ways i couldn't be more excited because father chuck decided for his favorite band to pick guster and his own mother said i will accept it because you've been talking about it for years but i'm Basically, she's ashamed and disowned you because you didn't pick the Beatles or Michael Jackson. So I, being the amazing human being that I am, jumped in and said, oh, don't worry. Occasional Matt will make sure that that's taken care of for you because my choice is not only the, an album from Michael Jackson, but features a song that features Paul McCartney from the Beatles. So I nailed it. So we will be doing the 1982 album Thriller by Michael Jackson. Um, And I have actually a lot to say about it. So I'm kind of excited. So we're going to go there. Are we going to get canceled? Probably. listen, (laughs) Listen, listen, I'm going to end with this warning. Michael Jackson is super problematic. I'm very aware. But that's also, I'm hoping, going to lead into an interesting discussion from our moderator about art and the fact that it's, freaking problematic because i don't like michael jackson as a human being but let's carry on so michael jackson's thriller that will be what we're listening to this week excellent
2: all right and in uh, the following week it will be hashtag masters of divinity is over party
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right michael jackson's thriller go out and listen to the pivotal album by michael jackson come back with us next week and we'll talk all you about know, it and then afterwards the yes. wheel of mayhem awaits you
3: know what you know what you know what you know what go out and pirate it because you don't (laughs) need to support him i'm okay with that go out and do it he also
2: he also owned he also owned the beatles song catalog
3: so it it all kind of he did did for a long time i'm very aware yes i know so mm -hmm. cool
0: (laughs) all right so thank you so much for listening and for watching uh everyone at home uh continue to stay safe uh be sure to like subscribe leave a comment a review all that good stuff and we'll see you again next week as Music Mayhem continues. Good journey. Good journey.
3: Good journey. journey. Good journey.